The Gospel according to Luke, the first chapter, continuing to read, beginning at the 39th verse. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a city of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the voice of your greeting came to my ears, the babe in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped all servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his prosperity forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and returned to her home. Amen and amen. The Bible talks an awful lot about joy. Way back in the book of Deuteronomy, the promise and the command is given to the children of God. You shall rejoice at the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your manservants and maidservants. Nehemiah the prophet says that the strength, the strength of you is in the joy of the Lord. When the angel came to the shepherds and the great multitude of heavenly hosts sang, it was glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to all men. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. This is good news of a great joy. And when the little baby grew up, 
that night in the upper room, according to John's gospel, he said, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. See, joy. And the Apostle Paul, who I have a feeling was not always a very joyous person, said in concluding his letter to the church at Philippi, Rejoice! In the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Now, the Bible is full of the command and the promise that we should be rejoicing people. And I'm surprised the number of individuals who do not know what all is required to be joyous. I think Paul, again, helps us the best in trying to understand this mysterious, what he calls, spiritual quality of life. You see, joy is a spiritual quality. Paul says it's a part of the fruit of the Spirit, together with love and peace and gentleness. We have spiritual joy. Yes, but what goes in to bringing forth this fruit? You see, joy is always a fruit, which means it's always a result, never a cause. It's never a seed, it's always a fruit. It's a byproduct, it's a serendipity, which is finding something when you're looking for something else. Joy is a serendipity. It comes as a result of doing something else. Now I think as we continue in our in-depth study of the first chapter of Luke's Gospel, which we are doing these three Sundays, you will find, I think, here the clue as to some of the ingredients that go into spiritual joy. First, I think you'll find that joy is the fruit or the result of an inward feeling, a feeling of inward birth, birth that comes from within. Joy can come as a result of feeling of new birth from within. Now we take our clue for that. From Elizabeth. Now get the picture. When we left last week, young Mary, teenage Mary, had received a message from God that she had been chosen to become the mother of God's son. We said that she was hurting because of the confusion, because of the uncertainty, because of the mystery. This young girl wasn't quite sure what was happening to her. And the messenger said, go to your kinperson Elizabeth. So here's young Mary. And the Bible says she went with haste, quickly, one translation has it. And she went from Nazareth to the hill country of Judah. And that's not just around the block. To the home of Elizabeth. And here who is hurting Mary who thinks she's about to have a baby in nine months, coming to the hurting Elizabeth, who is six months pregnant with another miracle of God, John the Baptist, 
And the two of them meet in the home, the living room of Zechariah. And immediately as these two women meet, remember, though they were related, they weren't very good friends, and there was a tremendous age difference between the teenager Mary and the old woman Elizabeth. Something happened when they met. The little unborn babe in Elizabeth began to jump within the womb. Maybe not, but I think for the first time Elizabeth felt new life within her. This woman, remember last week, she was hurting, she was unfulfilled, unneeded, unwanted, felt unnecessary. And in her old age, she sees signs that she's going to have a baby. And now for the first time, perhaps, she feels the kick of little John the Baptist yet unborn. And though that kick hurts, it kicked off a spirit of joy within this woman. And for the first time, we hear her yelling and shouting and getting excited and filled with joy, all because she felt new life within her. Now, I wouldn't want you to believe that you have to have a baby to be able to feel joy. If that were the case, over half of the married population in the world would never know joy. We men can't find it that way. But new birth, you know, comes in other forms than through the physical. New birth can come when you have born within you and you feel the presence of new birth when it comes in the form of an idea to the mind. Thanks to neurologists and neurosurgeons, we are finding so many wonderful things today, new things every day, about that particular miracle that is contained and enclosed within your cranium. That's a miracle up there. And we know now that that brain is composed of 10 billion billion cell parts actively working that has the capacity to receive 10 new facts every second. You realize your brain has the capacity to receive 10 new facts every second. Dr. Wilder Penfield of McGill University, he's a neurosurgeon up there, has found in his laboratory work through experiment that the brain has the ability to recall relive and record so many ideas and experiences. According to Jesus Christ, the master physician from Israel, I believe we get indication that the brain has the power to do one other thing, reveal, reveal God's will to the world. 
You see, when God has some idea, some plan, some purpose, some new invention, he always sends that to the world through the mind of an individual. Every one of us here today has been or is now employed. And we have been employed in companies or a part of a profession or associated with an organization, every one of them beginning with a simple idea in the mind of one person. The Fords, the Firestones, Westinghouse, Edison, all of these people have been instruments through whom God has sent messages and new discoveries in the form of new ideas to the brain. And if you feel a new idea coming, that is when perhaps you experience more joy than at any other time in life because joy comes with new birth, new birth which can come in the form of an idea in the mind. These individuals have taken these ideas, they've worked hard with them, it's never easy. But from that they have developed these companies, these ideas, and you realize every gadget, every convenience we use and know has come from an idea in the mind of a person who would not give up, but who developed it to the place where we know it today. You hear about that boy who received an idea, he thought it was the gem of a great discovery. He worked with it, but he just couldn't perfect it, and he was about ready to give up. And he went to his father, who had always been an inspiration and a supporter. And he said, Dad, I just can't do it. I'm going to give up. He says, oh, don't do that. Don't give up. He says, remember, the people that are remembered in this world are the individuals who had an idea and who didn't give up. And then he started on a great sermon. He says, Look at Robert Fulton. He had a great idea and he refused to give up. And he brought about this steamship. Look at Eli Whitney. He had a great idea and he never gave up and he brought forth the cotton gin. Look at Thomas A. Edison. He had so many ideas and he never gave up and he became one of the greatest inventors of all time. And he says, then look at Isidore McPringle. Isidore McPringle, said the boy, what did he do? See, you never heard of him. He gave up. <laughs> Nobody wants to be a Isidore McPringle. Joy comes when you see growing something that began with new life in the form of an idea to the brain. There's physical rebirth, there's mental new birth, and there's spiritual new birth. I guess with so many of you, I'm watching anxiously what's going to become of Larry Flint. 
He's that individual who the news magazines report will head a company that this year will make over $20 million in profit alone. $20 million in profit alone. He heads up an organization that distributes magazines and he has a mail order house that specializes only in perversion and smut. You read about him, heard about him, and I'm sure the news media will be talking about him on into next year. That's because a little over four weeks ago down in Houston, Texas, with Ruth Carter Stapleton leading him as his shepherd, Larry Flint, in a worship service just like this, claims he repented of his sin, asked Jesus Christ to come into his life, and he's converted. And he claims, according to one report that I read, to have this new joy, this new joy that comes when people are new people in Jesus Christ. Newsweek claims that his wife is just about all fed up with him in his new life. His brother and business associates, they're taking bets on whether or not it's real or whether it's just another hustling idea of this hustler. Only God knows. I doubt very much whether Larry Flint knows himself. Only God knows and only time will tell whether or not it's a put-on or it's real. But before we, the church, become too suspicious of this man, I only ask you to remember who we are. We are people who, by the providence of God, have been called to be in the Lord's work. And the Lord's work in business is not just correcting injustices, feeding the poor and hungry and clothing the naked, oh, those are very important things, but may we never forget that one of the reasons we are in business is to reconcile individuals to God through Jesus Christ. And may we never forget that Jesus teaches us that there's no one who is so dirty or no one who is so low that they cannot be reborn through salvation. If you've ever had the privilege and the courage to lead someone to Jesus Christ, you know what I'm talking about. I've had the privilege on several occasions of hearing someone tell a sordid confession of wondering how God could ever forgive them. And with some teaching and recitation of Scripture and constant persuasion and trying to drive them to the moment of decision, I've gotten down on my knees beside those men and those women individually at different times in history. And I've heard them pray, Father, forgive me. And Jesus, come into my heart. And after the Amen, we stand up. I never have, and I hope I never will, get used to that feeling that always 
fills that room. The chills go up my spine. There are moments of embrace. There's a time of laughter and tears of joy. And many a time I know that that person's going to walk out my office and they're going to run into all sorts of trouble at home and at business. And yes, even right here in the church. It doesn't matter then. They've been reborn. Hallelujah. And there's that joy that comes that you can know only when the new life of salvation is within. Secondly, joy can come when you are willing to accept the belief of blessing from above. See, not only from joy from within, but blessing from above. And we get our clue here from Mary. When Mary left Nazareth, she was hurting, she was very troubled, she was very confused. But after she hears Elizabeth's outburst of joy, it was there, then, in the hill country of Judah, not back at the place of Annunciation at Nazareth, but here, that Mary breaks forth in a joy all of her own, and she speaks forth the words which now we call the Magnificat, words which have been beautifully set to music, words that go like this, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden, for behold from henceforth, which means from this second on, all generations shall call me blessed. It's a great feeling to know that all of the world is going to thank God for you. You didn't realize you're that important, do you? But you are. You're blessed. Like Mary, we are blessed. But you know that's so hard to get that message through. There's something that seems to be within the human nature makeup which wants us to rather feel that we're cursed rather than we're blessed. I don't know what it is. When I get to heaven, that's one of the 4,227 questions I want to ask why it's easier to feel cursed than it is blessed. Another question is, God, why did you put calories in chocolate cake and none in spinach? <laughs> That's why, you see, I, I'm so much against some of the current theater, current literature, current comedians, no matter how funny some people think they are, current trends in, in the sect groups and in the cult organizations that are emphasizing the power of evil, Satan, and demonology. And you look around, boy, the market is flooded with all sorts of concentrated efforts on the power of evil, the devil, Satan, demonology. We cannot help but be consciously or unconsciously, subconsciously, feeding our sense of unworthiness 
instead of God's message that we're blessed. I'm sure when I tell you that you are a blessed person, many of you, oh, no, no, no. That's too bad, because when you think that way, you will deny and make invalid the death of Jesus Christ. God doesn't make junk, and as Ethel Waters said, God doesn't sponsor no flops. You're blessed. But you're blessed, ladies and gentlemen, only when you believe that you are blessed. And the whole message of the Christian gospel is simply this. God loves you. God has redeemed you through the cross of Jesus Christ. God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, has great things in store for you. And all generations shall call you blessed. From this moment on. And that moment on is when you believe it. And if you don't believe that, start believing it right now. And you'll find a new joy and a new power that you never knew was there before. I don't care what trouble you're in, how black your sin, how ugly you feel. If you believe that you're blessed by God and God has great things in store for you, you have a joy that the world needs. Joy comes from new birth, from within. An acceptance of the belief that you are blessed from above. And an evidence of support from above. You see, that's where we get from the last verse. And Mary remained with Elizabeth three months and returned to her home. Just, just think what all's in here. <laughs> Here's a woman in the last horrible three months of her pregnancy trying to care for a young girl who's in the first sickening three months of her pregnancy, and both of them are trying to be cared by an old man, Zechariah, who can't speak. Doesn't sound like a very happy household, but you know there was joy in that household, and you know why? Because they were extending hands and supporting one another. It's surprising what you can stand when you support one another. And there's joy and there's power there. This is Christmas time, and you know, I don't think that there's any other time in all of the year when we are as joyous as we are now. And you know why? Because there's no other time of the year when we are as supportive of one another as we are now. We send greetings, we write cards, make telephone calls, even our salutations. Hi, how are you? Merry Christmas. If you're following along in our little Advent calendar devotional, and we still have a few out there for those of you who haven't gotten them yet, I was thrilled. I think some of you probably were with last Friday's. It's a story, you know, Joe Carter tells about the children who all year would spend time looking to give that right gift to the right person, and always the person had to be unsuspecting and unexpecting, and trying to make a little mental note, hey, that's the gift to give to this unexpecting person. Sometimes it was small, sometimes it was large, but it was always the right gift for the right unexpecting person. And then the author tells about the joy, the joy that comes into the people who 
are looking for the right person at the right time. And then the author ends with these great words from Gahil Gibran. The search for one who shall receive is joy greater than giving. The search for one who shall receive is joy greater than giving. Some of you are in for great joy, great joy this year, because I know you. And you're looking for that right gift to give to the right person who expects nothing from you. And when you give that gift, you're going to see joy, happiness, tears in their eyes. But you're going to have a joy within you. And that's Christmas. Yes, joy came to the world on that first Christmas, but joy doesn't come every Christmas. It comes only to those who feel new birth from within, who accept blessing from above, and who are willing to give evidence of support to those around. We're going to have a great Christmas. Amen and amen. Father, Father, thank you, thank you for your word. And help us this year not just to sing, but to be to the world tidings of comfort and of joy.